Uh, let's turn our Bibles this morning to uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 15 through 23. Uh, Paul writing, uh, verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Who are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Uh, but God be thanked uh, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, your body, as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness uh, what fruit uh, <coughs> did you uh, have then, excuse me, in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we rejoice in that. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the, the blessed gift of her eternal life. Uh, you've given us your spirit. Lord, uh, you've set us free, Lord, from sin. Lord, from the power of it. Lord, it once controlled and, Lord, ruled over us like a cruel Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have, Lord, brought us out of that kingdom of darkness and you've established us, you've placed us and seated us in the kingdom of your dear Son. And Lord, we rejoice and praise you and thank you for all that you've done and all that, you're that you continue to do. And I pray that, Lord, as we have been set free, uh, Lord, uh, and once, Lord, we were truly uh, slaves of unrighteousness, uh, certainly to all kinds of differing degrees, but slaves nonetheless. Lord, we thank you for the great emancipation, the liberation. And I pray that, Lord, you would enable and empower us. Lord, that we would not put ourselves under that taskmaster once again. Lord, surely that happens. But, Lord, we, uh, we look to you. We thank you. Because you're not only our liberator, first and foremost. But, Lord, you continue, Lord, throughout our experience. Lord, as we cry out to you, as we look to you, Lord, to establish our feet upon the rock and to set us free, and we thank you for this glorious and awesome freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning, Father, that as we read these verses and, and speak of them, uh, Lord, give illumination, I pray. Uh, give fresh uh, understanding, and, and Lord, give us application. Give us the, the ability whereby uh, to apply these things, not just to, uh, to have them, to ascend to them intellectually, to agree with them, but, Lord, uh, to practice them 
to experience them, the truth of them in our lives. So, Father, we thank you for this day. And, Lord, um, we commit, Lord, um, this time to you. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Kathy, where's Kathy DeVries? Good to see you, Kathy. Glad you're doing better. We've been praying for you and uh, others as well. Praying for Paul Finity. Paul's uh, had open-heart surgery uh, kind of like twice this week. And uh, so we're, uh, we're thankful for the Lord's mercy in his life. We'll continue to hold up uh, Paul and Margie and the family uh, before the Lord. Now, as we look at these particular verses here, remember last week we ended with an incredible, special promise um, that sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not control us. Uh, sin shall not be our master any longer. But yet we see sometimes uh, where somebody <coughs> who has been delivered from sin uh, puts themselves back under the whip of the devil. Uh, that can certainly happen. Uh, you, we get free, and sometimes we have our freedom, and we think, well, you know, I have power over that now. Um, but what happens sometimes is we get tempted to kind of, to kind of, you know, flirt once again, dabble in those kinds of things, thinking that I can just sort of, and that's always the, the deceitfulness of sin. We think we can kind of dabble with it, play with it a little bit, and just walk away. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible says it's got hooks, it's got cords, uh, and it just, it comes in and controls us. Um, and so we have a promise here that sin does not, uh, will not dominate us, will not control us. Uh, but it's, we need to make sure <clears throat> that we're not living in this world and trying to live separate from Christ, even though the fact that we are saved. You know, when, when real salvation takes place, real conversion takes place in our life, there's an emancipation. It emancipates the soul, it emancipates the spirit. And in many instances, too, it, it's, it emancipates, it sets free the body. I've seen people delivered from, I've seen people healed from diseases, I've seen people delivered from tremendous drugs and that sort of thing. Uh, and, 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 you know, when we come to Christ, there's, an, a, there's a very powerful work of the Spirit of God reaching into our life and setting us free, bringing, out of that, bringing us out of that kingdom. Now, we don't see all that taking place. We don't even understand all the dynamics of it. But the fact of the matter is we feel, you know, we feel the freedom now. We feel the emancipation. We feel what God has wonderfully done. And he's delivered us, you know, from this bondage, from this power of sin. But we need to be very careful. We need to beware, again, that we don't flirt, that we don't begin to put ourselves back under it. Because, you know, you know Satan was our old taskmaster. He knows exactly what kind of temptation will appeal to us. And so we need to be very careful that, you know, I used to say to people, uh, uh, you know, if you had a problem drinking, being an alcoholic, well, don't go witnessing in a tap room, okay? It just simply doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> and I think there are certain areas, uh, you know, where we have individual and personal weaknesses. We need to stay away from those things. We need to be very careful uh, to cut off, in a sense. We were talking about that last week in one of the services about you know, if, if, there's, if you're, your eye offends you, pluck it out in your hand, cut it off in your foot, cut it off. Um, and, of course, you know, Jesus wasn't speaking literal there, but, you know, when he would say something like that, it would get everybody's attention. But he's simply talking about things that have become so maybe part of our life, you know, like our eye, our hand, or our foot, uh, that if it stumbles us, to cut it off, to get it out of our lives. Uh, you know, one of the things I've told you before, and this is, again, this is a personal thing with me. Uh, you have your own convictions about this, but I don't have cable. I don't have cable uh, because I know that I will watch TV more than I should. And, uh, 
And there will be things on there, I know, that can defile me. And I think we have to be very careful knowing, you know, if you have a problem with social media, I think it's incumbent upon you to make a decision. There may be certain things that you need to cut out of your, you know, out of your life. Uh, if they're going to stumble you, if they're going to, you know. And again, I think, I think we have great strength realizing where our weaknesses are. Paul said that, didn't he? When I am weak, then I am strong. When you understand your weaknesses, and they're revealed to us, uh, you know, no doubt by the Holy Spirit, we need to act upon that because there's strength in understanding that. Uh, there's places where I don't want to go. There are things I don't want to do. There are certain maybe people I don't want to be around. Uh, so whatever it is that we realize, you know, it's going to make, you know, we'll be vulnerable to stay away from those things before they stumble us and, and, and end up uh, in a difficult place. And, and sometimes we feel like, you know, the devil lies to our pride. Well, you know, you're so weak. Why do you have to do that? Well, we are. You know, I think, the, I think they're, you know, agree with the devil. I think there's certain things we need to agree with him about. Yes, we, yes I am weak, and I'm vulnerable, and I need, to, I need to, you know, by the grace of God as he shows me certain things that I need to not do, and the things that I need to do, I need to be obedient to that in order really to, to achieve the victory that we need to have, you know, in Jesus Christ. You know, like, for instance, if you like to gossip, you know, if you like to, you know, and you find, uh, you know, if you're around certain people and uh, you know sometimes you're going to be around a certain person and, and there's going to be, you know, a conversation uh, about other people, I think, it's, I think it's incumbent upon you to, to, to you know, um, Remove yourself or don't put yourself in that kind of a vulnerability. Now, he opens, our text opens up here with a question and he gives an answer. It's a rhetorical question, obviously. <clears throat> and he says, uh, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And, of course, the answer is certainly not. And I think this is very relevant to what's going on in the church today in evangelical Christianity because we see that there's a liberalism. Uh, there's a, such a relaxation coming into biblical Christianity. Uh, and it, oftentimes it comes under the auspices, under the title of grace. Um, I've seen sometimes when it comes to the area of, of Christian discipline and discipleship, um, people sometimes look at that um, as, as maybe legalism. Uh, obedience sometimes is, is, is misread as legalism. Now, I think it's very important, you know, if, if, you know, they say, for instance, I have certain convictions that I'm not sort of preaching to you, like I just shared one of my convictions about not uh, having a cable in my home. It would be legalism if I began to just sort of preach that and lay that on you um, and make you feel condemned. But I think, that, I think there's a point here in our Christian relationship where the Lord begins to individually disciple you. He begins to disciple you and disciple me to be obedient to him along certain lines. Uh, it's not legalism. It's simple obedience. It's discipleship. And, and he takes us from point, you know, point A to point B. But, I, but I've, I've seen within uh, you know, evangelical Christianity, biblical Christianity today, uh, a relaxation of biblical, you know, a biblical ethic and, and, and what true discipleship is and being obedient you know, to the Spirit of God. And it's oftentimes referred to as grace. Um, and, and, and just be careful of that. Um, you know, one of the things I see in a wholesale kind of a way uh, being embraced uh, in the last, you know, few years, um, uh, maybe last dozen years, is the encouragement uh, in, in, cer in certain circles to, to be, to, it's okay to be drinking. I don't think it is okay to be drinking. Um, 
and, and, you're, and you're looking at one here who has seen his family destroyed by drinking. I grew up in an alcoholic home. I was a teenage alcoholic, and I've seen the devastation and the destruction that it does, the fighting uh, in the home. There's no peace in the home. Um, I, I, I grew up with a family where there was alcoholism, not only in my you know, nuclear family, but in my extended family as well. Uh, we just grew up in the, you know, growing up in the 1950s, uh, drinking was, you know, the drug of choice, uh, and everybody just kind of did it, and you kind of grew up with that kind of mentality. But I've seen the devastation, the destruction of it. Now, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink, but the Bible gives tremendous warnings about it. Um, I, and I see sometimes, you know, Christian parents, um, you know, drinking uh, to a degree where it, be, it can become a stumbling block to their children. And I think there's things that, you know, when, when it comes to Christian liberty, I think we need to be very, very, very careful. You know, Paul said that I will not eat certain food and drink, you know, you know have a drink while the world stands if it stumbles somebody. So, yeah, our freedom, our liberty is gauged by how the impact that it has on somebody else, somebody weaker. Uh, so I think we need to have that kind of a mindset. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, grace isn't doing what we want to, you know, anything that we want to do. Uh, you know, I think grace is being, you know, very, very careful, um, you know, yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, he's incredibly gracious. Jesus Christ is the most gracious person. Uh, yet there were, there, there are parameters. Uh, one of the things that I find about the Holy Spirit in my life, he's a restrainer. I, I find so often him pulling me back, sort of like reins on a horse. Um, and, and he does it. That's part of his work is to restrain us, you know, from going in certain directions, doing certain things. And when you feel that, you need to abide by that. You need to yield to that. Uh, that's something that's personally, you know, gauged and aimed at each one of us where the Holy Spirit says, hey, uh, yes, other people can do that, but I don't want you to do that. Uh, and yet that's grace. That's grace because God doesn't want us to do things that can be destructive. There are so many behaviors out there in our culture, in our society, that are just downright destructive uh, if you take them to their conclusion. And the Lord knows that, and he knows our vulnerabilities. He knows our per particular weaknesses. So he says, okay, uh, he, he checks us, uh, he convicts us, um, and he warns us if we, we can, if we move in that direction, uh, what can happen uh, and take place in our lives. Now, he wants us to understand this principle of slavery. Uh, in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Uh, you are not that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin, or you are, um, uh, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, the principle simply here is obedience. Without obedience, there can be no slavery either way. And, and I think his other point is simply to also uh, that where does our obedience lie? Who are we obedient to? Who are we submitted to? Everybody, we're all obedient to something. Uh, you know, I heard a story of a guy who was, uh, you know, witnessing to somebody, and, you know, somebody said to him, well, you're just a slave of Jesus. He said, yes, I am, but whose slave are you? You know, everybody uh, is obedient to some something or someone. And so where does our obedience lie? Uh, you know, does it, does it, is it just about self and sin, or is it truth, and is it righteousness? 
Now he says here in verse four, uh, 17, rather, and of course this is if, if, we need to, if we're looking for something and we need something to be thankful about. He says, God be thanked um, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were uh, delivered. And again here, this, there's great value to obedience in the life of a believer. Basically, it sets us free to be all God wants us to be. Or was it um, Wes Bentley who comes through from time to time from far-reaching ministry uh, in Africa? And uh, Wes says that uh, obedience is the safety net for the believer. And, and again, obedience is simply cooperation. That's all it is. Again, I didn't like the word obedience. You know why? I grew up in parochial school. Can anybody else say amen to that? Okay. And because there was discipline there. There was discipline there. And I can remember many times, you know, that whether it was the lay teacher or whether it was a nun um, you know, or a priest when I got to a parochial high school, um, you know, young man, you need to be obedient. And so I didn't like that word. And so, when, you know, when, it, when I came to Christ, you know, that word had kind of an affront to me. But see, here it is. Here, here's what obedience is. It's cooperation with God. It's cooperation with the Spirit of God and the leading of God and the direction of God for your life. And obedience basically enables us to become all that God designs us to be. You see, there's a purpose. There, there's a specific purpose um, and plan that God has for you as an individual. And outside of Christ, it's amazing. I was thinking about sometimes people can accomplish great things. But if you don't accomplish God's thing for your life, everything else is meaningless. Everything else is short-term and temporary. Be because our relationship with, with him is an eternal relationship. And, and so everything that you and I accomplish for him, uh, because we're lining up with his purpose and his design, and it cannot happen. I don't care. I don't care. Um, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, as Christians, we can kind of um, choose the place of our own martyrdom, okay? And, uh, but are we choosing the place that God wants us to, to are, are we lining up with God's purpose and plan for our life? Um, Kent Hughes, one of the authors that I read, he tells a story of somebody who went to Scotland, and they're watching a shepherd with a flock of sheep and the, and the shepherd dog. And he shares a story, he says, uh, And the dog was a Scottish collie. Uh, he was doing what he was bred for and trained to do. He was beautiful to watch, and he circled right and left, barking, crouching, racing along, uh, herding a stray sheep here, nipping at a stubborn one there, his eyes always glued to the sheep, his ears listening for a tiny uh, metal whistle from his master. And as she watched, she reflected, the, the visitor there said, I saw two creatures who were in the fullest sense in their glory. A man who had given his life to the sheep, who loved them, he loved his dog, and a dog whose, tr whose trust in man was absolute, whose obedience was instant and unconditional, and whose very meat and drink was to do the will of his master. The dog did not understand the pattern, but only understood obedience, and he was in his glory. This was, this was what obedience, slavery to God, and righteousness bring to us. Of, uh, we know, of course, that God shares his glory with no one, yet through obedience there is a human glory which comes th through being what we are made to be. 
Obedience to God liberates us to be all that we can be. I just love that story, how true that is. When we're yielded to the, you know, to the master, you know, as he's training us. And the fact of the matter is when you come to Christ, you're in school, folks. You're in the school of the Holy Spirit. You're in Holy Spirit University for the rest of your life, okay? I can remember, you know, finally graduating from school thinking, wow, I'm finally done with school. I never want to go back there again uh, kind of a thing. But, you know, when you come to Christ, you're a student, aren't you? You get up every day. You read the Bible. You study the Bible. We practice the Bible. Uh, we're students for the rest of our life. And God has a plan and a purpose to bring you into the fullness of his purpose. Um, and, and it's interesting because as human beings, we're always looking for a purpose, aren't we? You know, I can remember as a young person before I, you know, even came to Christ thinking, you know, what's my goal in life? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Those kinds of questions. And, it's, and, and it can only be fulfilled, you know, as we yield our life in obedience and trusting, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says here, you know, but God be thanked for you were slaves of sin. And, and again, the form of doctrine is simply the gospel. You know, I was thinking about, uh, you know, back in, in 1865 that there was a, uh, a proclamation of emancipation. Um, and it was, a, you know, it was a written form. And I was reading just recently about um, Booker T. Washington. And he was nine years old when it took place. And, uh, and he was talking about a man came, probably a Union soldier, I think it was, and read this, you know, read this list. And then uh, he's saying his mom is there with, her tear, with tears in her eyes. Uh, understanding, you know, the, the dynamic of what was taking place. It was basically, the, you know, that, that proclamation that now you're free, you're emancipated uh, kind of a thing. And, uh, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, that's what the gospel does for us, for anyone who believes it. And the interesting thing is, though, many people are in slavery today. It's a spiritual kind of slavery. Some kind of, you know, some... Uh, compulsive behavior, an addiction. Something has control over their life. But if you were to ask that person, are you a slave to that? They'd say, oh, oh you know. Uh, I can remember, anybody ever hear smoke? Did anybody here ever smoke? And you remember saying, I can give up anytime I want. Remember that? Remember that? Until you tried. And then it's like, oh, my goodness, these little white sticks are controlling my life kind of a thing. And there's many things in life that are simply like that. They simply con they control our lives. Um, and it's only as Jesus Christ that comes into our lives and really gives us power uh, to set us free from those, you know, those things. And again, it's the gospel um, taking place in our life. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves uh, of righteousness or servants of righteousness. It's kind of a strange metaphor, isn't it, that he would kind of use that? But it's true. It's so absolutely true. The King James kind of mellows it out a little bit and says, well, we're servants. It kind of elevates it, doesn't it? Oh. You know, and we are. We are. Uh, but you know, before that, we were absolutely slaves. Slaves to something that was destroying our lives. And uh, maybe at a certain point, uh, we even got to realize it. You know, Jesus one day was speaking to a group of folks uh, about this very issue. And he was revealing to them just what I said to you this morning. Um, that basically they were slaves, that they, you know, we're, we were, we're not slaves. What are you talking about kind of a thing? But he goes, Jesus says this, he says, uh, and these were the Jews who believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That, that, that qualifies it right there. And the idea of committal there is practice. It's the practicing of certain kinds of sins. That's where you know, the, the, it gets power over us, and we can't control it anymore. And so uh, he says, a slave, interesting thing he says here, a slave, and he's talking about a slave to sin, does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And so again here, the importance of, you know, it's like, you know, when someone comes, you know, when, when someone truly uh, makes a declaration that they're a Christian, um, yes, we can still sin, but when we sin, there's a conviction there. There's a struggle there. We can sin and even lie to ourselves to a certain degree, but it comes to a point where it's like, I can't keep, I can't keep this up. And, and I wonder sometimes for people, for people who, who profess themselves to be Christians, to continue in some kind of sinful behavior and have no compunction about it. And Jesus said about that kind of person, a slave, this kind of slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, a child of God abides forever. And therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If he has made you free, beloved, work hard at staying free. Be very careful that you don't put yourself you know, back in that place. Uh, again, we get liberated, we get free, and we, we're, we're so free. We're so incredibly free, we think that somehow I can mess around with something and just walk away from it. And we can't. We're too weak. Sin is very powerful, very, very deceptive. Now, as we come to verse 19, that the Bible, in no uncertain terms, reminds us and shows us how really weak we are. We're, we're, we're much more weak than we really think we are because we've been educated and, and, and uh, sometimes, you know, even indoctrinated that we're to be strong, we're to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and, uh, and, and working through, you know, difficulties of life. Um, we, we tend to think, you know, I'm really strong. And, and, and I've thought that about myself because, um, you know, uh, Growing up in a dysfunctional home, um, you know, going through the whole Vietnam experience, but it was only in Christ when I realized that that how wretchedly weak I was as it came to righteousness, as it came to faithfulness, as it came to the good things that please the Lord. I speak in human terms, he says, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members at your body, your mind, uh, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now, basically, he's giving us an, a very important key here, a, a point here regarding freedom. Um, and it's basically the word when he says here that we're to present ourselves. 
What are we offering ourselves? What are we presenting ourselves to? What are, you, what are we giving ourselves over to? We have a culture that basically gives itself over to every impulse. Every impulse. You know, the idea is it feels good, do it kind of thing. So if I really want freedom in my life, I have to be very careful what I present myself to, what I offer myself over to. You know, the fact of the matter is, it's sort of inadvertent, but it, it's a reality that when we watch TV, we give our minds over to that stuff. And I think we have to be discerning. I think we have to be very careful. One of the things I noticed how you know, the devil has an interesting way of, of uh, getting us to accept certain things. He often does it through the entertainment media where he gets us to accept something sinful uh, and he works, it, he works it in a such a way that we, in, we, we, we relate to and enjoy the characters we relate to the particular characters in the story. But yet they're doing sinful things and they make excuses for it. And you get caught up in that. Emotionally, you get drawn into that. And you can find yourself as sort of defending certain behaviors and certain things. I notice oftentimes when um, political parties uh, are trying to get us to accept certain things. They present a, a, a human interest story. They put a face to it. And it's this emotional drama. And all of a sudden, you know, you feel drawn into it. You're, you, 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 you feel empathy and you feel compassion. And before you know it, you find yourself agreeing with certain things that you know they're not right. And, and Satan's very clever with that. He's very clever. And that's why it's important for, for us to know the word of God so that we can discern these things. And we're not swept into the emotion of it. We're, we're not taken advantage of. We're not. A, a lot of people, a lot of people in our culture, good people, they're exploited. They're, they're exploited, um, you know, by Hollywood. They're exploited by sometimes political agendas and that sort of thing. And I think we need to be very, 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 very careful. That's why, you know, when it comes to every year when we vote, um, I, I encourage folks to, uh, to vote uh, your, your, your biblical convictions. Don't, don't vote, you know, because somebody puts a buck in your pocket. Or don't vote just because you like the guy's face and he's got a good spiel, you know, kind of a thing. What do they stand for? We, we need to be discerning people. And I think what happens is, is um, you know, in the, in the media, and the way that we learn oftentimes is these, such these fast, rapidly moving images where we become kind of shallow. We don't, we, don't, we don't discern. We don't study. We don't look into you know, policies and, and what, you know, somebody's, you know, position and platform is. We need to be, we need to be discerning. Are you going to get taken advantage of? Uh, you know, the, the devil basically is going to exploit um, 
that naivete that we have out there in, in our culture. You know, well, you know, we'll just vote guys, you know, people into the office, and, you know, they I guess they know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing a lot of times. We've seen that over the years, haven't we? And certainly we need to pray for them. I'm not just trying to beat up on them. Um, but anyway, he says here, uh, so now, uh, verse, the end of verse eight, 19, rather, uh, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness uh, unto or for holiness. Uh, and again, you know, when you think about some of the things people fearlessly offer themselves over to, it's just it's incredible when you think about it. There's a guy in the Bible, his name was Lot. Do you know all his choices were wrong? And when you read Genesis, you wouldn't even know he was a real believer, would you? You really wouldn't. It's only, you know, over in the book, I think, of Jude, so Jude or Second Peter, uh, that tell us that he was a justified believer. He was a righteous man. And all of his choices were wrong, and he lost everything. See, we need to make sure that we're presenting ourselves to Jesus Christ. Because you know what? I, re I realize that we don't always know what's best for us. He does. He's a perfect father. Besides that, he's our head. He's our bridegroom. He loves us passionately. He loves us dearly. He doesn't want to withhold any good thing from us. You ever notice how children have that thing? You're holding something. You, 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 know, you don't want me to have fun. You don't love me. Yeah, we all did this when we were kids, and all our kids did it too. But as a parent, we just, we kind of, we knew better. We knew what to withhold. We knew when, you know, I don't know if that's so today. <laughs> In many situations. Certainly unchristian situations. That's why I say to parents, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to know. K-N-O-W, when to say no, you know. No one to say yes and no one to say no. So I think what Paul simply, you know, the point that he's simply making here without saying it is we need to offer ourselves to Christ. We need to offer ourselves over to him for his purpose. And, you know, he can make us to be the best that we can be. And, we've, and, and the thing a lot of times, too, when, when you talk about this grand plan that God has for us, a lot of times, I'll tell you what, you can't see it. We can't see it. I, I so often, you know, walking with Christ, um, in, in my experience with him, all I see is like one, one door at a time. I see one little thing. Isn't it interesting the Bible speaks about, you know, you only see one step in front of you. Your, your word is what? A lamp, a candle, you know, you know unto, my, unto my, my feet. And, and, and that's all we see. But he's got a glorious plan, even though we can't figure it out or we can't see it. And that's why I think a lot of times we, we don't yield to it. And, and God always is working, you know, through the small things. He's always working through the little things in, in each one of our lives, in our situation. And when we're faithful to those little things and those small things, you know, God will wonderfully open up other doors. But again, that's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. We want to see everything. We want to know, you know, where it's like 
AAA. I've been in AAA since forever. When I'm going in somewhere, I want a trip ticket. I want to know where I'm going, okay? And I want to know every step along the way. And I got it all planned out. Ain't that way with God, is it? I mean, how would you like to be Abraham? You know, seven, here you are, seven years old. God says, hey, I want you to leave your family and I'll, and I want you to head out and when you get there, I'll tell you. <laughs> Faith, isn't it? It, it? It's simply trusting this great and awesome God that loves us beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, and beyond what we know. Again, it's only through him that you and I can, can ever come uh, to our full uh, potential. Now, he describes for us in verse 20, uh, we're in Romans 6, uh, verse 20, and he says here, pardon me, <clears throat> when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So in other words, you were disconnected from righteousness, you know, when you were once a slave of sin. And again, everybody at one time or another, we're a slave of something or someone. And maybe as we hark back at our life and we look at, you know, as we were under, under, the, under the control of different influences. Remember what's it John says in his little epistle? Uh, that the world is under the sway of the wicked one. Now, does that mean everybody's demon-possessed? No, of course not. But it simply means that everybody's, you know, influenced. If you don't know Christ, you know, there's an influence that you can't help. It's sort of like a magnetic kind of thing. It's like magnetic north to you. You will go with that. You'll go with the natural understanding. And Satan can take advantage of us. Because there's a, there's a blindness that's in the heart of the natural man. And it's only as we come to Christ or our eyes, you know, our spiritual eyes are opened to see the dangers, to see the, you know, the, the situations where, you know, I look back at my life. You know, when I came to Christ, I oh, Lord, you delivered me from this and that and the other thing. And it's amazing, too, without Christ, people sometimes recklessly put themselves in circumstances and situations that can be so dangerous and, and devastating. And, you know, when, when people are in the devil's camp, uh, this is why when you start witnessing to somebody, man, you need to be praying for them. Because the devil doesn't want to let them go. Man, he holds on to his slaves very carefully. He keeps them bound. He keeps them blind. Uh, what does Paul say uh, in one of his epistles? Uh, that people are actually blinded by Satan from hearing the truth. So if you, if you, if you find yourself witnessing to somebody uh, and they're tracking with you, um, start praying for them. Start praying because you can be sure the devil will come in and he will work very hard uh, to neutralize whatever they've heard. Um, the Eagles many years ago did a song, Hotel California. And there's an interesting, there is an interesting uh, few lyrics here uh, and how true it is of the devil. It's a, and here, here it is. The last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You, cannot, you, you can check out at any time, but you can never leave. Hotel California was basically a demonic thing out in, in uh, it was, it was, I was believe it, was, it wasn't the Church of Satan. I think it was the Church of Satan um, out in California. And how true that is. 
you know, we're, we're, you know, we're programmed to receive, but you can never leave. And Satan works very, very hard to keep people under his control. That's why we have been freed in Jesus Christ. Don't allow yourself to be put back under that whip, under that deception, and under that control. Now, in verse 21, <clears throat> it says, What fruit did you then have, speaking of the old life, uh, in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And that's why Paul says that we're, forget, we're to forget the past. We're, we're to press onward, you know, for the prize. And the interesting thing about sin, sinning is a slow form of death. It's amazing what it does to people. I, I, I was in a reunion um, with a whole bunch of Vietnam guys a couple years ago. You, I, you guys were praying when I was out there in Illinois. And for the most part, I couldn't recognize these guys. They look 20 years older than me. Some of them look like they could have been my father. Sin's hard on people. It, 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 it's destructive because God never designed us to live in sin. And the power that it has to impact somebody you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally in every possible way. This is why I think so many people just let it look old and worn out. Way before their time. And you know the other thing too? It affects the thinking. The, the, the way things, you know, you know, it's amazing to how people can become hardened and just cynical, hopeless. It's because of sin. Sin is death. Sin is death. It's a spiritual form of death. It hasn't worked its way out all the way in the physical. But when it's embraced, when it's received, when it's allowed in the life, it's deadly. And it's destructive. And when you look at all the violence and death in our culture, in our society, that's where it comes from. From sin in the life. That's why, folks, never, never underestimate the liberating power of the gospel. What, is, what did uh, Luther say in his uh, great hymn there, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Speaking of Satan, he says, one little word will fell him. And it's one little word of the gospel and gospel truth that can liberate someone. A lot of times we just simply, you know, because of, you know, we're busy, we're distracted and all that. Don't underestimate the power of the word of God, the power of the gospel. And a couple of us guys were talking about this. I don't know if you remember this, Chuck. We were talking about this. And about different little things that took place in our lives before we met Christ. And uh, I was sharing with the guys... Um, through a series of, of crazy things 
this is how dysfunctional my family was, that my mother shot my father, uh, thinking he was um, a burglar. This is 1965. And I wake up to my mother screaming and my father's lying in a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. And uh, we call the ambulance, the rescue squad. We get to the hospital. Hospital, I was born in Catholic hospital. And I remember uh, somewhere around 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, they worked on my father. It was a miracle that he lived. He was shot right here in the solar plexus. It went through his lung, hit his rib, went down through his liver, hit his pelvis, came up and went out his shoulder. So he was just, he was just a, a lacerated, um, hemorrhaging mess. And they, you know, the doctors come in to me and my mom, uh, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, and um, say, well, we've done all we can do. And, and I remember, and you have to have known me, I was not a religious person. I didn't have a religious bone in my body. But I did have a few reference points to know that at a time like that, you need to pray. And I went into the chapel. This was 1965. I went into the little chapel in the hospital. And here was my prayer. Simple prayer. Almost like a Jacob prayer. I said, Lord, if you will save my father, I will do whatever you want me to do kind of took me up on that. Because <laughs> he saved me some 10 years later. Same month. And as maybe as wrongly motivated as maybe that prayer was. It was a deal prayer. It was a foxhole prayer, okay? I believe God put that in my heart. And the point I'm simply making here is that little bit of truth that you and I share and speak into someone's life, it can be a pinprick in their darkness, a pinprick of light into their darkness and into their situation. We serve a mighty God. Yes, we were ashamed of those things. The end of those things were death, the result of them. But now, <laughs> but now having been set free from sin, in other words, from its grip and from its power, and we kind of talked about that last week, uh, having become slaves of God. And you, when you think about the fact that God calls us to this incredible honor and privilege, where he says, I want you to serve me. I want you to commit your life to me. I want you to live for me. I want you to speak for me. <laughs> what a privilege, what an honor. And when you think about it, you're becoming just a willing slave. And I don't even like to use that term, a servant, because it is a promotion. We were slaves, yes, we were. But we've been elevated, we've been promoted. 
what position you and I have as children of God. One of the best things that you and I can do is just be willing, willing to cooperate, willing to yield, willing to serve him. You're blessed, you're honored, you're privileged, you're graced. So now, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. You know, there's a, there's a principle here that we find. We find it in the Bible. We were, we were talking about it um, a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night when we're in, uh, particularly when we were in Ephesians. And it's what I call the principle of displacement. And it's a very important principle because the Bible tells us that we are to put off. We are to put off certain behavior, you know, know, certain, you know, a certain attitude or or whatever it is, you know, that may be, you know, God may be speaking to you. You need to get that out of your life. So the Bible says we need to put that off. But here's the other half of that. And that's why. You know, they're, they're, you know, if we don't put on, in other words, if we don't displace that empty thing or that worthless thing that we're doing, we need to, we need to basically, um, you know, put on, you know, this new behavior, this new godliness, you know, this new purpose for the fact that he has called us now to live and to honor him. So when you put something off, make sure you plug something new and fresh and godly in its place. Because if we don't, we end up falling back into it. That's why Paul says, put, put on Christ. Put on Jesus. Put on that new and godly thing. And you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And fruit is simply what? It's Christian character. It, it, it's virtue. The fruit of the Spirit is what? <laughs> Love, joy, peace, gentleness. You know, all these incredible, wonderful characteristics uh, that he's working and putting into our lives. It was Irenaeus, the early, one of the early church fathers said this, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's the glory of God. When our lives are fully alive in Jesus Christ. Sometimes when you watch people in the world, they're all excited about, you know, some new thing they have, some new acquisition. And they're all passionate. They they look like they're alive. But it only lasts such such a short time, doesn't it? But the glory of God is you and me, fully alive in Christ. I was just reading something last night. I forget who it was. <laughs> and it's a theme that just really resonates with me and always has. Um, it's just revival. Revive us, O oh Lord. O oh 
let your church, let your people, let us be revived. So that the world will know we are fully alive. You know, we get, get together and have our rah, rah, rah sessions. And that's okay to a degree. But they need to know out there. They need to know. They need to know we're fully alive and why we're alive. And they can be alive as well. In verse 23, remember we said this is one of their stops along the Romans road. And we gave you all the references there uh, in your bulletin. Might just want to clip that out and put it um, in your Bible. It's all the, I think it's five or six verses that is referred to as the Romans Road. Um, great scriptures to go over with somebody, okay, as you're talking to them about Christ. So they know that what you're talking about is rooted uh, in the scripture. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Satan is interesting. He's the great promiser of pleasure. But you know what he delivers? He always delivers misery, depression, death. I think the Bible is simply telling us here, you know, sin provides a paycheck. And you know the devil pays lavishly? He always pays. He pays on time. On the other hand, our heavenly master, he pays no wages. He owes us nothing, but he freely gives us all things in Christ. What a gracious God we have. What a great master. What a great privilege and honor to say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to be your slave. Lord, use my life. Do we say that when we get up in the morning? I think we need to. Lord, I want to be an instrument. Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. Use me, Lord. Are you afraid of that? <laughs> I think sometimes we are. Let's be honest about it. I don't know if I want them to use me here or there, you know. We need to get over that. That's what happens is, you know, we're, we're fearful of God using our lives in a certain kind of way. It's like, it's like you know, Chambers says, we, we want to choose the place of our martyrdom. I'll be a martyr, but let me choose the place. Let me choose the circumstances. He says, no, you can't. just got to yield to him, turn our lives over to him. You, you see, he wonderfully promises that no good thing will I withhold from you. And, and everything that you and I have and need will be found in Jesus. This world promises us all kinds of things, and it always leaves us empty. The promises of God. They are true. They are pure. 
they bear eternal results. As we close, if you need prayer this morning, and it may be perhaps relative to something that we spoke about here, and if you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. Pray for one another. Dear Heavenly Father, we look to you today. We thank you for the glorious and wonderful freedom that we have come to enjoy. Lord, we remember the bondage. And I pray that, Lord, you would protect us. Father, give us a discernment. Give us faith and wisdom, the ability to see, Lord, if we're moving in the wrong direction, making the wrong choices, or thinking the wrong things. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, to walk in the glorious liberty and freedom that you have provided, Lord, for us. Lord, we, we live. We live in a nation, Father, where there's so much bondage. So much, Lord. Lord, I've, I've, I've said this, and I believe it with all my heart. I've, I've never seen such immorality, such cultural devastation and moral meltdown in my entire life. And Lord, you've called us, Lord, your church, your people, to represent you. And Lord, we've, we realize that it's not an easy thing. We often struggle with it, Lord. And I pray that, dear Father, that you would revive our joy, that you would place, Lord, once again within our heart, Lord, a, an understanding of the fact that you have you've called us to do, Lord, incredible and awesome things. And Lord, we feel so unlike any, like we have no greatness, Lord. We don't, we don't feel that. We, we don't feel awesome. But Lord, we thank you that you are awesome. And you use regular and ordinary people. And I pray for us, Father, that if there's any area, anything holding us back, Lord, we want to we want to we want to be so set free that your glory, Lord, is communicated through our lives and through our message. So, Lord, we look to you. Be thou unto us, Lord, what each one of us need. 
Go with us, I pray, Father. Guide and direct, we pray. Bless our families. Give us impact, we pray, for you, for your honor, for your namesake, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.